0: Hi, welcome to the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. For months, we take time to prepare and educate ourselves on this new adventure of motherhood. But as we all know, once the baby is born, we're still left with so many questions and need all the help we can get. Women really should have a sense of empowerment as they begin to experience these life-changing moments. And no one mother has it all figured out. However, the more informed we are, the better decisions we can make that will positively affect us and our family. And that's what this podcast is about. Sharing honest, raw, and real conversations about motherhood, life, and all of the crazy, messy, beautiful in-betweens to hopefully educate, empower, and support the next mother on her motherhood journey. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. I am honored to have Mrs. Sarah K. Peck, who is the founder and CEO of Startup Parent. She is also the host of the Startup Parent podcast, an award-winning podcast featuring women in entrepreneurship, business, and parenting. She also runs the Wise Women's Council, which is an annual leadership program for women to come together honestly while navigating the challenges of working and parenting. Sarah's professional career started in environmental psychology and the design of environments. She pursued a bachelor's of arts in psychology and a master's degree in landscape architecture and regional planning from the University of Pennsylvania School of Design. In 2011, Sarah began consulting with Y Combinator-backed startups and launched her own consultancy in 2013. Today, she is the CEO and founder of Startup Parent, a company focused on the narratives we share and the ones we don't share about work, parenting, and motherhood. Sarah's mission is to tell new, truthful stories of what motherhood is actually like in America and to connect people to new ideas, to each other, and back to themselves. I love it. Sarah, again, thank you so much for coming on. I just introduced you with a nice little snippet, but why don't you tell my listeners a little bit more about who you are, and then we'll get into what you do.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, and it's always so fascinating to hear someone sum up the work that you've done, because I feel like the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, if I, if I tell you my work history, it's going to take a long time. You got a glass of wine, you want to sit down? But yeah, I've, I've had a lot of different jobs. I, I started my career in psychology and then I did a research project in environmental psychology and went to graduate school to study landscape architecture, urban planning, city planning. I spent five years there in the field. And then I realized that I was $100,000 in student loan debt and I didn't like the job that I had.
0: Oh, that
1: must (laughs) have been a big WTF. What am I doing? That's right. It was just like, oh oh no, like where do I go from here? And the world of work was so different than academia and university. And to be honest, I loved college. Like I really liked how well the design of campus layouts was, like how we lived close together in residential communities, how it was like focused on education. There's so much right about school. And then I don't know, you grow up and you're just like, wait a second, this grown-up world is like nothing like what they promised us. We got to work all the time. We don't have enough money and we have bills, a lot of them. And that's not even including children. Yeah, that's pre-children. <laughs> that's right. I remember seeing the salary that I got offered for my first design job in San Francisco. And I was like, how do you graduate from an Ivy League university and make forty or $50,000 a year? and pay rent in San Francisco. It seems like somebody didn't know what the math was. And I was just like, wait a second, this was not what I thought was going to happen. So lots of roommates, lots of like thrifty shopping, thrifty spending, side jobs, side hustles. And I started dabbling in the online world, teaching and learning about storytelling, teaching and learning about marketing. How do you communicate an idea to somebody? How does it make sense? So I'm in San Francisco, I start dabbling in the online world and I launched my first online business. That online business, I made about 30K in revenue on the side in one of those years. And I thought, oh, there's potential here. And the salary I was making was not astronomical at my job. So I said, what would it look like for me to take a leap of faith and try to go out on my own? So I spent some years freelancing, I built up a marketing and communications consultancy I ended up joining some startups, um, working with a bunch of startups. I ended up up being the sixth person at an education tech company, teaching people how to code. And when I was at that startup, I got pregnant with my first kid. And it was like a Mack truck ran into me. I had no idea that it was going to be as hard as it was.
0: Yeah, that was exactly what happened to me. I was in corporate at that time, 13, 14 years working for various startups. My background is in accounting. And when my son was born and I was at a VP level, I was like, I wasn't prepared. I was not prepared at all for the identity shift. I should have stayed home. They kept telling me, you're going to come back. Right. And I was like, of course, of course, of course. Right. And I was ingrained to think that that's what you do. And I worked during my maternity leave because I was a VP and I wanted to be there for my team and the anxiety was overwhelming. It was a lot.
1: We do such a disservice to people by not preparing them for parenting and for what the transition is going to look like and how much your life is going to change. Even the questions that we ask people like, oh, well, you're going to come back, right? Or like, you're not going to change or you're going to keep going. It is so presumptive and so almost cruel and in- inhumane. Because we give absolutely zero support to working parents in the United States, and we do very little to understand or emphasize with the transition that they're going through. And I just felt I felt so deceived. and I I struggle to explain this because I think, well, I mean, it's embarrassing, that's what I'll say. it's I'm ashamed a little bit. But when I was 27, 28 before I had kids, I really thought that if I could push harder or work harder or be more organized, like it wouldn't be a problem for me. I just thought if you were driven enough and you were ambitious enough that you could make it all work. And I really internalized the idea that this is like an individual failing if you're not able to make it work. I'll say, you know what, That that is still out there. Like I still feel that pressure. 10 years later, I'm 38. I still struggle with the stories that we tell about motherhood out there because the fact of the matter is, and I don't want to scare people who don't have kids, but in America... If you have a baby, like nowhere else in the world are you going to be presented with a $3,000 bill for having a miscarriage or a $20,000 bill for giving birth. Then you're going to be given, you know, six to eight meager weeks to go on quote unquote leave, most likely it's going to be unpaid. You have the right to take 12 weeks, but most people can't afford to take that much time off because they have a new baby to pay for. They have massive injuries that they're healing from. They have all these new bills and they have this huge hospital bill. Like Even if you have good insurance, your your bill might still be $2,500. And then your work colleagues, even if you work in a great place, might say stuff like, Well, why are you leaving at five? You're leaving so early. You're not as dedicated. You're not as committed. And you're like, I'm leaving at five because if I don't, then daycare will put my child on the street. There's just, there's no empathy or understanding. And it's really, it's a harsh world. I hope I'm not scaring
0: people away by saying this, but I just wish people told the truth. No, it's welcomed because I think conversations like this are, you know, look, we do it, right? We figure it out. We find a way to do it. We're going to obviously talk about Startup Parent and the creation of it and the inspiration behind it because it looks like there was obviously a problem that you saw or that you needed to solve for yourself. And that exploded to what it is, figuring out something you needed, creating it for others. But, you know, now we're going through the whole paid leave, you know, and everything that's going on with Congress and how, you know, we're in 2021 and we're just now talking about federally mandated paid leave policy paid leave right yeah so it's not to scare but it is the reality of it and i think I think if more women understood that, especially the younger generation, you know, maybe they would even think twice about all that does come with having a child. I also had my son, because you said you were 27, 28 before you had children, which means you didn't have them in your 20s. I had my son in my 30s as well. And I'm thinking I did all the right thing, right? I checked all the boxes, good career, this, that. And then when my son came, there aren't many resources for moms who are dealing with that career and balancing that. Because maybe it is different than being naive when you're younger because you don't have the career yet. So you're kind of figuring it out but what about the women that are in their career and they're like holy shit like how am I going to balance this to your point how do I leave like the guilt of not being like oh shit I should be there but I'm here or what about when you're dropping off your child at daycare and they're screaming and that guilt I know that riddled me for a lot and I had to go into work like as if I didn't just have a screaming toddler saying mommy mommy I want you I want you and I'm not feeling the, the ramifications of that. And I have to go and be like, good morning, everyone, like, and start my day like nothing happened. That's right. Nine o'clock is the second
1: day. Your whole first day, <laughs> you wake up at five, 536, and yes, you have three yes. hours. And it's that's a whole day. It, it's a whole day. Like, I did not know this should be like an Olympic challenge is like putting socks on little feet that are moving. It is so hard. <laughs> it's so physical. And I say this, I was a college athlete. And, and there are times when I'm like, this is a harder endurance workout
0: than what I used to do in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not only that, the, the mental capacity, if you have a screaming title, it's like, yeah, no, they're looking at you point, like I'm not getting just to go to school. Oh, and they run and they had under the bed and they tell you're you like, you're a terrible to go. person. Yeah, no, this morning. I was like, the bus has got to leave. And they were like, I don't care. I don't want to get on the bus. And it's not a punishment for them. They don't care. They'll stay home. And then what are you going to do? You're going to drag them out the door. Those are the things that we don't talk about. So why don't we get into the inspiration behind Startup Parent and how, and I know it didn't start out as Startup Parent when you became a mom and then how that shifted for you to where you said, there's a pain out there. I'm dealing with something and I need to fix it.
1: This is like a meaningful story to me. And I think it speaks a lot to entrepreneurship. So to the people out there that that don't know what they're doing or stumbled into a career, I'm here for you. I was working at startups, which I loved. And I started to have this like potpourri career. You know, I worked in one field and another field and in another. And I was gaining skills and talents. And I really started to feel like, oh, I'm coming into my own. And then I got pregnant. And I said, it felt like a Mack truck hit me. It was really hard physically and mentally. But also, it was so lonely. I just didn't see anyone that looked like me. I mean, there was women on the covers of magazines that were pregnant, but it was so glamorized. It was just looked like they floated through the world, and they, like, raised billions of dollars and ran companies. There wasn't any of the nuance of, like, yeah, but
0: what do you do when you have to puke and you're in the middle of a grocery store? Like, how do you handle that? Or you have to breastfeed or you have to breast pump and you have to leave a meeting because you're like, I'm due to pump. Yeah, or like a
1: friend of mine was eight months pregnant and she had to poop so badly, she ended up going in a street and she was mortified because she couldn't make it somewhere because the baby pressure was so much on her pelvic floor. And she was like, "I, I can't tell you what that does to my psyche as a person when I don't even have like basic resources for biological functioning. And I feel like I'm failing as a person. The thing is, when we finally start talking about this, every single woman is going to have a story. Like every single parent is like, oh, yeah. And we can connect over that. But it's also astonishing because we don't talk about it publicly. We just kind of, oh, yeah, me too. So I got pregnant. I was working at the startup. One of my lifelong dreams was to write a book. And so I pitched one of the... Like premier agencies in New York City, one of these like top literary agencies. I said, What if I write a book about working in a startup and being pregnant? And they said, Oh, that's cool. Let's do it. And I started to write the proposal and I wrote three or four drafts. And they said to me, You know, we want more women's stories. Like we would like to know more of what's going on. So I ended up interviewing a bunch of people and about 30 interviews in, I was recording them and I said, You know, I should, this should be public. I should put this in a podcast. So I, I started the podcast, but at that time I had my kid and I looked at my husband. I said, there's no way I can take on more paid work. Like I unpaid, excuse me. I was like, I can't do any more projects. Like I will drown. And so I pitched a bunch of people for sponsors and we ended up getting quite a number of sponsors backing the show that made me realize, oh, there might be like a business in here. And I left the startup that I was working at to launch my own company when I was 32 when I was 32. Yeah, and then about a year later, launched the first iteration of the Wise Women's Council, which we've now been running for five years.
0: Which I'm so excited to dive into. And it's so funny because you're like, yeah, I started this, but whoa, whoa. there's a lot to unpack there. So you, you get the sponsorship, so you get people behind you, but what was it about that you felt so strongly for my listeners and for even someone like me, right? Because it's, it's very much similar to the trajectory of me starting a podcast. I have something to say and now me having other ideas of what I can turn it into. That's right. What was it for you that made you realize, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And to truly, truly believe in it. If you hadn't even started yet, because that's completely, that's very inspirational to hear.
1: You know, part of it is hearing those women's stories, like finally connecting to other people and the feeling that I had just like, Oh my goodness, I'm not alone. Like I'm not alone and needing to document them, needing to, to talk about them. And the idea of the book was too slow. It was like, well, this might not be published for years and years. And a book doesn't create the kind of community that I was looking for. And I just desperately needed to talk to other women. And I needed to know that I wasn't alone. And there's this moment when I first had my first kid and I was trying to learn how to breastfeed, which was incredibly hard for me. I ended up texting four girlfriends. I texted my sister. I texted my cousin. And I texted two of my friends. And they'd all had kids. And I was like, was this hard for you? And they all told me different stories. One of them was like, I'm so sorry, Sarah. It wasn't that hard for me. So I don't know if I can help you. And another one was like, yeah, I gave up after five weeks. And another one was like, oh, no, I bottle fed. And another one was like, yeah, I really struggled and I ended up doing it. And it wasn't one story that helped. It was the fact that I felt like I fit in this group. Mm. And I was like, oh, there's a path for me here because I could see myself in all of the options. Like, oh, it's okay for me if I quit. And if it's easy for me, that's some people. And if it's hard, that's okay too. It was like I belonged in that group of stories. But if I only heard one story, then it was like I was doing it wrong. There's something about hearing dozens of stories that was really meaningful to me. And so... On the podcast, that's one of the goals that I have is not to tell the dominant story of motherhood. Because if you look at the like picture-perfect story of motherhood that's out there, you're going to have a perfect bump. Getting pregnant is going to be super easy. You're going to have a natural birth, whatever the heck that means. You're going to labor at home in water. You're going to have control over your birth, you know, which... That's not what happens for most people. You're going to achieve balance. You're going to be able to do it all. You're going to work the way that you want to. Childcare will be easy. You're going to have invisible help that nobody knows about. You're going to make a ton of money, whatever it is. You're going to be a stay-at-home mom. But the truth is most people's picture of motherhood looks nothing like that. And the more I dug into each individual story, the more I was like, wow, motherhood in America is a lie. Not all women want to have kids. And they're not bad people if they don't want to have kids. Everybody gets to figure out what they want. Lots of people want to become parents and lots of people don't. There's nothing wrong with those stories. Some people don't like parenting. Like you become a parent and you're like, wow, this job sucks. And in America, it's sacrilegious if you're you're a mother and you say, I don't like it. You can love your kids and hate the work and that's okay. And so that's where I go. I try, to, I try to talk to a lot of people that are doing, I don't want to call it non-traditional because it's going to be 75% of people out there are not
0: actually living the fake story of motherhood that's out there. For sure. And tell me, so from the podcast, what has that turned into? Do you offer services, the community around it? What do you all do with startup parents? And actually also mention how many children do you have?
1: <laughs> I have two and you can hear them in the background. So we're recording this at night for people listening. And I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old who I think you can hear screaming right now very minimal you'll hear them okay (laughs) but if you hear them they're in the background because news children aren't quiet I have not figured that out if you have mastered children being quiet in a way that is actually like legal and appropriate then you know sell (laughs) me a product yes Um, yes (laughs) They're not quiet. And then for some reason, my downstairs neighbor is opening the garage hundreds of times. So we have just got the background
0: noise. But I've got two kids. They're three and five. Oh, wow. You're at three and five. So you're at the toddler stage. What is that like? Because my husband and I are thinking of having another child. What has that been like having the two? And before we get into like what other services or things that you do with Start a Parent and Jumping into Wise Women's Council, was there a shift or difference after you had your first child to going into your second that you knew better? What What was the change for you? Yeah. Okay. There's a lot there that I
1: want to, let's see how, where we can go with this. So two kids, I got pregnant with my second about 20 months after my first. And I remember it, like, I think the postpartum period lasts about 18 months. At least that's what happened for me. It takes, you know, three, six months to establish feeding, they don't start eating anything other than you or a bottle until six months old. So like those first six months are just round the clock feeding. And then there's figuring out sleep, which for a lot of people takes to about a year. And then the recovery for you, like I think finally starts. So around 18 months, I started to feel better and get back in my stride, boom, pregnant again. And I was pregnant with a toddler, which was so much more tiring. And then was 18 months out of the second kid and the pandemic started. So I feel like I've just been in 18 months of pregnancy and kid, 18 months of pregnancy and kid. And then now we're like 24 months into the worst pandemic nightmare. I kind of feel like I'm clinging to the edge of a pool being like, is anyone going to throw me a life preserver? Because I don't know if I can keep swimming that much longer. But two kids, the pandemic started and they were one and three. And that it's a special kind of hell to be trapped with kids and not have any help or support in that way. That was really hard, but they play with each other now and there's more space where they will, they will play together. There's a bit of overlap in terms of like, well, if you're getting one child dressed, it's, you know, it's going to take an hour. If you get two child children dressed, it's going to take an hour. It doesn't like, there's a little bit of efficiency and it's really sweet to see the different parts of them that remind me of me and my partner. I could have maybe been talked into having a third, even how hard it was. But now that with the pandemic, we're done. We're good.
0: Yeah. And which is what with us with the second when we were teetering, I was like, with the pandemic, I'm like, I don't know. But I wanted him to have a sibling. And like I said, you know, we're leaving it up to God's hands. But thank you for sharing that. And I'm sure that's a whole nother thing that we can get into, which is, parenting in the pandemic and just the man mental anguish with that. And like you said, of having two little ones that you have to explain why we can't go out, you can't do anything. And but yeah. you have to stay home, right. Yeah. And making sure they're not on the TV all day or making sure they're not on the phone all day or the tablet all day when you're when you do want like a, a couple hours to just come to yourself. But where are we kind of getting over the hump? I don't
1: know. I think so. I think there's still burnout to recover from and, and reconciling with like all that was lost. Mm. I think there's grief that's in there. That's going to take a while. Like burnout takes a while. Grief takes a while because so many people lost, like for me, I didn't enjoy my two and four year old in the same way. And so like, I'm grieving that, like I'm grieving the lost time with my kids because we were so panicked and so overwhelmed. But I will say so when I had my first kid, I really didn't spend much time with him as a toddler because I was, I was so overwhelmed being pregnant and I was nauseated and vomiting. And so with my second kid, I remember being like, oh, wow, my toddler, he's so fun. Like it was a little more fun the second time around because I wasn't pregnant. So that helps me with the pandemic because it makes me realize, yeah, there are years that you're not as present as other years and you just do the best you can.
0: Actually, I think that's very poignant and that's a key point. That's motherhood in general, if summed up, like you roll with the tides of it and and you make the best of it. and, And yes, you look at the silver lining, same thing of all that we went through the pandemic and yet there were bits and pieces that I was very thankful to be home with my son, although I kept saying I am not the pinchest mom. I don't like doing activities. My son told me the other day, he was like, you don't know how to do anything, but meaning like all his like game stuff, because I usually push it onto his father <laughs> and like we laughed and I was like, excuse me, I know how to do a lot. He's like, yeah, no, but I don't do the activities. Tell me some of the products and the the services that everything that comes with startup parent.
1: So we've got some free stuff and that is our marketing arm, but also the like help how do we support parents? And that's a blog. I love writing and a podcast and a newsletter. So we got those three main things. And if I have time, I share them to social media, but I focus, this is part of the ethos that we can get into. It's like, pick the things that you're good at. And I'm good at writing and podcasting. And so I stay Uh there and I do those things. And I am trying to build out a team to help me share the rest, but if
0: I try to do it all, I will I will just drown. Some of the biggest business owners or most successful, that's kind of what their the shtick is, right? That's everyone's thing. It's like know with what you're good at, go from there, and then build out a team to help you with the things that's that right. you're not good at.
1: Right. Pick your channel. I think it applies to business and parenting too. There's so much noise out there. There's so many ways to do things. And I think in business especially, you can get lost because it's like, okay. Here's all the advice from people who are like building unicorns and rocket ships and like getting venture capital. But these bootstrapping people are doing this, but these online business owners, but I'm a service provider, but I have a product, but I'm a, you know, I have a brick and mortar and it's like, really consider who you're listening to. And see if your business aligns. Like if I'm raising venture, I want to talk to people who've raised venture. But if I'm bootstrapping, I don't need to listen to that because my numbers and metrics are going to be different. I'm focused on an online business. I'm bootstrapped. And so I've got to really put my horse binders on, if you will, and stay, okay, these are the channels. Keep going with what's working. Otherwise, I'll get too scatterbrained. I'll be like, "Wait, I have to have like like seventeen Instagram channels and forty two TikToks, and Man. and it'll I'll
0: just drown." Yeah. For sure, no, a hundred percent. Before we go into the wise women's council, I wanted to ask because you you mentioned this: is there such thing as balance, and oh, yeah. how do we overcome the misconception that we need to have it all figured out? No,
1: we, there's no such thing as balance. <laughs> okay, so wait, I wanna I wanna cut, finish the yes. services. Yes, okay, go ahead. I'll tell you those. I have the Wise Women's Council, which is an elite leadership incubator for driven, ambitious career women. So people who are at the peak of their career being like, whoa, how do I do this? Because I wanted to create that community for moms. And last year, we had 40 people go through the program. We're going to have about 40 or 50 go through the program again next year. It's so amazing. I don't even know. Like, I do a terrible job of describing it. And everyone tells me at the end, they're like, wow, you really... Like you can't explain it, but I'm so glad I did it. It was the best investment I've ever done in myself. And I didn't say that, like someone said that to me and I was like, thank you. So the Wise Women's Council is just a dream. And then we're launching a new thing next year called Parent Talk. So it's like a smaller version of a place to come together with other parents and tell the stories, true stories
0: of what your parenting journey is like. Awesome. And to touch base with the Wise Women's Council, I actually put my email in to learn more because I left corporate. I'm now starting my my consulting business. It's actually growing along with what I do with my motherhood side of things, my actual professional, I call it, side of things. And I heard your episode about it, of where you describe Yay. the Wise Women's Council and how it, it really is like a boot camp. So yeah, so I'd, I'd love to learn more about it personally. You started it four years ago? We've done four cycles.
1: This 2022 will be the fifth cycle, but there was kind of two in the first year. So four
0: years ago. What was the inspiration behind creating that? What made you say you wanted to do this?
1: You know, I was pregnant with my second kid, and it was July. And I'd had this idea for a couple of months. And I said, I really want to bring people together. I want to do a mastermind is the word that people use a lot of the time. And I had spent five or six years running mastermind circles. So I, I ran communities, I brought people together, I did retreats. So that I did all under the umbrella of Sarah KPEC.com. And I'd been doing freelancing for a long time. And I knew I loved bringing people together. And I said, I really want to bring parents together, except I've got a baby due in October, and I have no idea how I would run a program and take a maternity leave as a self-employed entrepreneur. So how do I do this? And it took me another month to figure it out, but I ended up bringing guest teachers in to teach across my maternity leave. And I said, I'm going to run this program. And it was all on the sales page. I'm going to run this program. I'm expecting a baby. Part of the ethos of a Parent is that we're figuring out new ways to do things. So I'll teach the first three months. We'll have guest teachers for the middle three. And then I'll come back for the last month. And I might show up harrowed and nursing a baby on the call, but I will not expect myself to lead and teach in that moment. And then we had our first eight people sign up for that one. And then we did another one right on the heels of that. We had 18 people for the next round. The next year we had 28, this year we had 40.
0: That's amazing. And I'm happy you said that because I'm happy you were honest in saying the first one, we had eight people and not diminishing that, right? Because look at how much, I mean, eight to then now you're at 40 within the third or fourth cycle. Like that's amazing. And I want people to hear that because I think a lot of times, again, whether it's social media, we see this glossy image of entrepreneurship or motherhood that it looks all glamorous when no, you have to work and you can't give up, right? On any aspect, whether it's motherhood or your entrepreneurial journey, you can't. And I'm glad that you said that because there are times even with me, or if I'm having an event or doing something here and only such and such amount of people came up and I start feeling defeated. Right. And then I'll have to say, wait a minute, like, no, this is what it's about. And it's not until I hear to your point, which is why we're both in the space that we are sharing stories. It's not until I hear someone else saying, Case in point, like you just said, well, I started this and this was only had this many people. I only made this much amount of revenue. I realized, oh, that's part of the game. A hundred percent.
1: I think there is grace in it Mm. because there's such a learning curve when you're starting something new that if you mess up with a hundred people in the room, like it can be, it can have more of a consequence. And if you mess up with eight people, you can take that time to go and say, Hey, I didn't do this right. And like, what, what should I have done differently? And is, was this okay? And, and it gives you a lot of space to grow. And I think you get the right number of people. And for me and for people listening, it's really important for you to know your benchmarks, to know like, okay, well, I wouldn't run this program if it was only three people. I know that I want at least six, right? Know the minimums because it's not worth doing free work necessarily. You just still want to get paid. You know, I got paid for that program, but not a tremendous amount. But The other side of that that I think is important is know your capacity plan. So I have a plan for what it looks like to have 160 people in the program. And I'm now starting to build a plan for what it looks like to have 500 people in the program. And if when you know those two edges, then you can build along the way. And it doesn't matter if you go from eight to 10 to 12 or eight to 20 to 40, If you're growing and you're making progress towards the goal, it's working.
0: Yes, 150%. So now let's talk about balance. If you're all good with what you said there, let's talk about, I know it's one of your favorite topics of not having balance because I, I do agree with you. I do agree with you. I think the only thing that you can try and balance and it's something that is going to be my word for 2022 is making sure I'm balanced spiritually,
1: yeah.
0: mentally, my mind, body. And so I realize when I say balance, that's all that matters because I think once you're aligned and balanced, then everything falls into place.
1: Ooh, okay, I love that. So you said you sent me this question over, and I was taking notes. And you said, "Is there such a thing as balance?" I wrote in all capital letters. Nope, everything is lopsided. Um, <laughs> so I was like very adamant. I was like, "No," but if I, you know, take a little more refinement on that, I used to be a yoga teacher, so I trained and learned how to do a lot of yoga. When you think about balance, and you're trying to balance in a yoga position, like you're trying to do tree pose you are not lying on the ground. Like this is not resting pose. Balance takes work and alignment and you're not there for a long time. Like, if you're doing any sort of peak pose, all of your bones have to be stacked in the right way. Your muscles are in the, in like alignment and it takes a lot of exertion and energy. And then there's also like a smooth quality to it and like a peaceful quality to it. But in the context of a yoga class, you may only hit a couple of peak poses throughout that whole hour, or hour and a half. So when I think about balance, I think that it's something we can dance with, but it's not a perpetual state of being that is always there. Did I scream at my kids this morning as I was going out the door? Yes. Did I cry in the middle of the day? Yes. Did I eat chips at 4 p.m. in the afternoon while hiding on the couch while watching television? Yes. Like, yes, all of these things are true. Is it my ideal self? You know what? I don't. It doesn't matter. It is real. It's what's here. So no... But you can have like really beautiful moments in your life. Yeah, that's my that's my take.
0: And I think it goes back to the word you said, grace is having grace for it all and understanding. And I know for me, what I'm, I'm really trying to understand with my son and for those that are listening, we'll edit it out. But there was a moment where her, her son came in the room. And I want to applaud you because the amount of energy and patience that that takes to do that. Is And I think that's one of the things we don't talk about because it's a lot, because whether it's your own triggers that I know sometimes because my son is four, but he talks to me sometimes. I'm like, am I talking to a four year old or a grown man? Because I'm I'm trying to understand this right now. And it triggers me. And I'm like, wait, and I have to I have to look inward and be like, why are you reacting? He's only four. He's trying to figure it out. We're both trying to figure it out. So I applaud you with that. And what I've learned with my son and tell me, tell me if this resonates with you as well. I think sometimes, and just like what you do with him, when I give him just like that five to 10 minutes or or sometimes two minutes, that's really all it is. Yeah.
1: Like, first of all, there's no such thing as a perfect parent and everybody is doing a good enough job. Like we are doing a good enough job and this has been a huge learning curve for me, but I have a lot more intense emotions as a parent than I did before. I get angrier. I cry more. Like there's so many more feelings and I... Sometimes I really try to like stuff them away and that doesn't help. And I have learned that it's okay for me to stomp around the house and I will stomp and be like, I'm really angry. Mom's really frustrated. This is what I do with my frustrating feelings. I really need to yell. I'm going to go in my room and yell. Like there's a lot of modeling of like, this is what it looks like to have big feelings and I won't always do it perfectly. And a lot of therapy and a lot of reading has taught me, you don't, you also don't have to be perfect at it the first time you can repair If you do something where you're like, hey, I think I was really loud then and it looked like you were really startled. Like, did my yelling scare you? They can be like, yeah. And that can lead into a conversation of what should I do that would be helpful? Like, how can I, should I go into my room and yell when I need to yell? Like, how do we handle big feelings? I know. So it's all there. And I just, I'm really hard on myself because I, I still believe somewhere in there that you're supposed to be really good at parenting. And I'm just, I am hanging on and doing a good enough job. And if I can give other people grace, I can give myself grace as well. And
0: I think the fact that you're even worried about that or saying that there's that quote that says, and you know, you are a good parent, you know, but I'm with you. For me, the same thing. We weren't taught that, you know, it's kind of like you do, as I say, you know, to have those big feelings. And I'm very big with my son when he gets angry, because we're at that stage where when he's angry, he's like angry. And I'm like, let it out. I'm like, but you're not allowed to hit. You're not allowed to do this, but you let it out. Mommy and daddy are never telling you you're not allowed to be upset I get upset I'm like but well, we're just trying to teach you healthy ways and of course he's looking at me afterwards like huh you know but I I have to feel in my heart that at some point it will resonate and we just gotta keep going with it right it's It's a marathon. I feel like parenting is a marathon, and you just gotta I feel like we're all learning like I feel like a toddler sometimes. I'm like, oh wow, we're learning this
1: together, you know, although I'm the grown up but still like I've got some work to do. okay, the marathon thing is hilarious to me, so I've come up with a new metaphor. I used to say that right like it's a sprint, not a marathon, and then I realized parenting isn't a marathon because a marathon is done in five hours or six <laughs> hours. <laughs> A marathon, you can go home and sleep and rest the next day. Parenting is walking across the United States. Parenting is setting yourself up for being like, I'm about to become a hiker for the rest of my life. So what you have to do is when you're on the West Coast or the East Coast, wherever you're starting, and you're saying, okay, I'm about to start on this journey. Are you going to run 26 miles the first day? Nope. Nope. You're setting a pace yes. for what you can sustain. You need to drink water every day. You need to make sure you sit down enough. You have to get as much sleep as you can, and maybe you're going to do six miles a day. Yeah, and that's it. And I love like...
0: that. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to say that, but I'm going to be like, yes, I spoke with Sarah Peck, and no, because you're so right. The marathon ideology of it of being that, but to your point, it's like no, you're hiking for the rest of your life. You're never reaching that peak, right? Because because there's different transitions, because there's different phases. And goodness, we're not even in the the elementary school fully or middle school or or high school. And some of the even conversations I have with my son, I'm like, goodness gracious. And then the worries of the world and the pandemic and social media and all these things that we have to look forward to. So to your point, it's like, it's that never ending hike where you're never going to reach Mount Kilimanjaro. You're just always reaching for it. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. There's like beautiful streams along the way, you're gonna stop and
1: like have a picnic. And that's all well and good. But like, you're gonna walk six miles every day. And I I wish someone had told me this earlier, because I think there's so much fear back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, of that, that postpartum period, you're like, I'm gonna be able to do it, I'm gonna make it like, I'm gonna keep this job. And so These poor women with brand new babies are running marathons every single day, trying to show that they can do it all and that they're able to handle it. And then nine months, 12 months, this is when people lose their jobs or they quit their jobs or they resign because they are burned to a crisp because they needed
0: to sleep. And they needed people to help them. And we don't provide that. No, or being able to ask for it. You know, I think even sometimes not being able to ask it from our employers and being afraid of what the ramifications are going to be. And to your point, America, you know, is failing parents you know and it's so true in other countries the woman has a baby and the whole village comes together and they take the baby and they let the mother sleep and they cook and they clean where here it's like either you can't afford it or it's very seen as like high-end and bougie it's not like the norm it's just something like well if you can afford it you can afford it or it just seems something that's too unattainable everyone should have that but okay so why don't we go into those since you do have a lot going on how do you then how do you recharge how do you fill your cup. How do you make sure that you are balanced within yourself so that you can do that never-ending hike? The never-ending hike. I think the emphasis on personal health and
1: well-being is even more important. And as an entrepreneur, your business doesn't work if you don't work. As a parent, like it's really hard to make it if you're not okay. Yeah. So, my husband and I both go to therapy. Like we have mental health. We try to exercise regularly, but exercise as a parent means twenty minutes because there's research out there that says even ten minutes of getting your heart rate up is so good for you. Yeah. So just the littlest bit, you know, again, it's not the marathon, it's just a little bit every day. Yeah. Drinking lots of water. We have this beautiful couch that looks out at these green trees. And we each try to take just five minutes to look out at something green. Yeah. Uh, calling friends, talking to them, hugging, like really things that are so important. For your own sanity and well being, and then having one tiny hobby. <laughs> I'm currently trying to learn how to play ukulele. And it. my husband plays this game night on Saturday nights with some friends. It's like, nice. you gotta have something for yourself. Otherwise, it's also like, what am I doing this for? Like, did I just lose everything that I used to be?
0: I know for sure. Yeah, I was thinking back, oh my like, gosh, my husband and I have been together total 10 years, married five, and like he's doing golf. And I went to a chamber holiday party. And it's interesting that we're in this phase. I didn't bring him, although I thought about it, I could have, but I think we're both at this place where we've reached this comfort level and we need to have separate interests in what we're doing. And as much as we need the connection as well, and that's still priority, but I'm fascinated that we are at this stage. And I was like, no, he's like, no, handle, I'm with Jace, you know, do, do what right. you what you got to do. I could have called my parents, you know, but it's like, no, we're just at this phase that he needs to have his interests because if we're always together and we always have the kids and it's like- You become roommates. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, you become roommates and co parents. And you're just like, "Uh, where's the stud I married. And he probably thinks the same about me, to be fair. So one of the things we do is once we got to a place in the pandemic where we could travel a little bit more, we alternate who takes a trip every other month. So we each get away for three or four days. And we take solo time, I will go up to an Airbnb, and then I try to hike and work. And just having that pattern break where you're like, I'm not doing bath time. Like, I don't have to put children to bed or take them to school is so rejuvenating. Yeah. So we swap months of who gets away to recharge. He just came back. He was on a trip for the last three days. And it was, you know, this week was intense for me, but there's actually some upside. Part of it is you you learn how much the other person does. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, wow, like he takes care of all these things. And now the house looks like a disaster because he does all these things. And you also learn there's this strange thing that happens where like when we're both home at night, we both don't want to be lazy. Mm. So none of us will sit down. So like I'm doing the dishes and he's doing bath and I'm doing this and he's doing this when really we also need time to lay on the couch and be like, dude, the dishes can wait till tomorrow. And so when I'm solo parenting, I don't do the dishes the entire time until the last hour before he gets home. And I just leave the house as a disaster. (laughs) because I'm like, no one's here. Nobody cares. And it's so peaceful for me, because we're not trying to keep up and like support We're it's like we're type A parents. And this just lets me be like, you know what, I'm ordering takeout and all the dishes are happening the last
0: No, I love that. Actually, you're a second or third person to tell me that does that. And actually, I just took my first solo trip, which was big for me because I started seeing a therapist that was part of my alignment of going into fourth quarter 2021 to carry me into 2022, that whole alignment of therapy. And I still suffered with postpartum anxiety, even though my son is four and still having those things. And I went on my first trip for a few days. I mean, it was just Maybe like 45 minutes away. I didn't do the big major, like a way away, but man, that was was a game changer and I highly recommend it. And I see why people do it. So thank you for sharing that because I love how you say you guys kind of alternate because you need that. And I I think it is something... And, and I don't know what it is, and and not every woman look like we said every every parent's journey is something different. Every woman's journey is is different. What how you became a mom and all of that. It's hearing different stories, but it is something that if, of being in corporate America. I don't know if it's because we have the pressures that we do with corporate America of why then when we now become parents, what that shift does. I don't know, and I I wish. The psychology of it, I can understand. But now, in talking to quite a few of corporate women who became moms, we have very similar stories. You know, that career identity, yeah. the this, the, that, no matter what level, from entry level to top level, we all struggled in some way. And being like, "Yo, this shit is hard." And you know, we got 20 million things to think about. And when we come home, we have to do X, Y, Z and car- compartmentalize and all of that. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's a good point for my listeners out there. Take the time and it's okay. You know, you and your husband to have that time apart. You appreciate each other more. Yeah, for sure.
1: And, and I love what you said too, the, the being honest about postpartum anxiety, because there's so many moms, like it's really hard to get away from your kid. There's so many feelings involved. I will say like some people can't wait. And some people
0: can't do it. I couldn't do it.
1: Yeah. So whatever your version is, whether it's like three hours away or just trying, but doing it at a hotel close enough that if you're struggling that night, you can come home. You know, like you're allowed to do what you need. And there's no right way of doing this. Like if, if you hear something and you're like, nope. Then don't do it. And if you hear something, you're like, "Oh, that's so cool! I wish I could do that." Then maybe it's for you.
0: Love it, and that's a great segue into my fun question portion. So, Sarah, what is your favorite book of the year, of the of my entire life? Of okay, it could be something you really want to recommend to the listeners. It could be a professional book, it could be a parenting book, whatever you really want to put out there.
1: I love "Like a Mother" by Angela Garbus. Mm. She's amazing. It's just such a beautiful look at the science and stories of pregnancy and parenting. Before that, I mean, I'm a really deep philosophical thinker. So things like man's search for meaning really hit home for me because I like to think of the big picture of like, what are we here for? What's our purpose? Like, how do we deal with suffering in human life? So, you know, fun, easy reads. (laughs) No Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, like, I like a trashy book too, but it's, oh, I've been reading the Matt Haig books. I think that's how you say his name. The Midnight Library was mm. amazing. Really? Yeah. He's, it's this world in which this person, I'm not giving this away because this happens on the first page. They want to commit suicide and they try to, and they end up in this place called the Midnight Library. And what happens is it's full of books of their potential lives, and they get to pull off a, a book off the shelf and try on all of these different lives.
0: Oh god, that sounds very interesting! Wow, it's a really cool book. I I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Nice. Okay, what is a favorite item in your home? I think I know what it is, but <laughs> I was going to say chocolate. Oh, I thought what I was even, you. Think? I thought it was your couch
1: because you said you let like, you have this
0: couch <laughs> Yeah,
1: the couch is amazing. So I hide chocolate all over my house. I I usually have some like in my desk drawer and then I have like some in the kitchen. But I just need it close enough to me whenever I'm relaxing because I I love nibbling in dark chocolate. But now my kids have discovered that I do this. And so they will now wander from room to room being like, I need something. I need something. And they just start searching my drawers and then I'll find them stuffing chocolate. And I'm like, I have got to get better at this. My kids are outsmarting me. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. If you could travel anywhere in the world right now, where would it be? I mean, literally anywhere, like literally like I would, you know, like I'm just so desperate to get back to traveling, but I'm searching for like a warm, beachy midwinter. What are they called? You know, is it called a vacation? Is that what it's called? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just something like that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Like a resort, not one that's like full of club music and like lots of alcohol, one that's really peaceful and serene and have like spa services. That would be my idea. love it. Who makes up your village? Not enough people. You know, we don't live close to family. So we're a really small unit, but I try to aggressively befriend people in my neighborhood. I've got some tricks up my sleeve for making friends. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And so my favorite one is I love going to coffee shops. I love doing things in the local neighborhood because you meet a lot of people if you just get out. So I, I took a drum circle. I'm taking a ukulele class. I like go to these exercise classes. I like hang out at the coffee shop because I really want to get to know people that live close to me. I think, I think local relationships are so important, especially the ones where people know you exist, even if you don't have a conversation, like, you know, the person who walks their dog every day that you say hi to, but maybe you never even know their name, but it's just like, I love that, that stitching together. But my, my best trick for making a friend is if somebody offers help, say yes. Mm -hmm. And people will be like, like, you have a newborn baby, and somebody's like, oh, can I bring you some food? Women are cultured to say, like, oh, no, 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 it's okay, we're fine say yes. Mm -hmm. Because when they bring food over to you, it creates that bond and you'll have a conversation. And like, if they offer you something like, oh, I could give you a ride. And then they regret doing it. That's on them. Like they shouldn't offer, they shouldn't make false offers. So you just say yes to everything that people offer and make offers yourself. I think that's, that's my trick for starting bonds. Like, oh, you have a new kid. Can I send you some food? Like, can I drop something off? Can be a really nice way into meeting people.
0: I love it. What has motherhood taught you?
1: That I cannot control things. That I think the idea of control is an illusion. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that's happening is your life is what's happening right now. And the harder I fight against it, the more miserable
0: I will be. Yo, that is so poignant and so true. And I think it's why a lot of times we do, I think, because we're always thinking of the next moment, which is why I was thinking the corporate thing, because it's always, especially working in startups, it's always like the next thing. And we're, nope, nope, nope. The idea of working out for an hour would give me anxiety because I'm like, I can't work out for an hour. I have too much stuff I need to do. I need efficiency. I love that. Do you have any final thoughts to the podcast world? It's not your fault if
1: you think motherhood's really hard. Oftentimes, we don't see the big picture, like the bigger picture until later. But America is really tough on parents. Mm -hmm. And if you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're depressed, these are all normal reactions to a world that doesn't support you. You're not alone. (laughs) And I wish I could make it easier for everyone. But just find, find people, if you can, to listen to,
0: to lean on, to read from. And and be kind to each other. I love it. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on, for sharing your story, your truth.
1: Thanks for having me. I love talking about all this stuff, and I cannot believe
0: that I had a brain on in the evening with a kid screaming for me outside the door. Correct. (laughs) Bow down. Thank you. Thank you for joining me this week on the Mama's Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, NGC Consulting, where you can find them at NicoleGConsulting.com. For more motherhood resources, check out TheMotherhoodVillage.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show so you'll never miss an episode. And if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or recommendation to a friend works too. And join us next time for another amazing conversation. Continued blessings to you all for love and light.